it in your head. Season two. I love, I love your vibes tonight. Happy Wednesday, friends, and welcome to Aquarius Behavior, a best friends podcast. I'm your co-host, Morgan. And I'm your co-host, Samantha. We invite you to hang out with us each Wednesday to take in some chaotic storytelling, low-key learning, and high-quality audio. That's the AbPod promise. Samantha, it is the fourth Wednesday of the month. It is the fourth Wednesday. Which means we do a special segment here on AbPod called Book Nook. Mm, come cozy up. It's time for Book Nook in the Pod Lounge. Come join us on an adventure where we have been working our way through all of Jane Austen's collected works in order of the publication date. And so we have now cozied up with uh, Jane Austen's persuasion. We're reading the first half. And if you're here to join us, we're going to be yelling quietly about characters, what we notice, what uh, what our experience was reading this book for the first time for both of us. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the movies, any of those things. So if you're here for the first time, come cozy up. It doesn't matter if you've read it or not. We're just going to talk about it because neither of us had uh, experienced it before. So true. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah, we're talking persuasion today. And uh, this is also an explicit episode. Mm-hmm. So we're Morgan's going to swear. Yeah. I have a lot of very strong opinions, especially about this book. Mm-hmm. Yes. I had to delay recording, as you know, by a few days because I had to listen through twice. And then I also went through the book this time and I had like, pages that I had to mark. Um, I had to go back to the recording and actually match up with the book a little bit better because, yeah, to your point, audiobooks that you listen to don't exactly match up with the book because these were like all of Austin's novels were published in volumes. Mm -hmm. So there's some versions that will be true to the volumes and, and kind of make them their own little quote unquote little book within a book. Um, and there's some written versions that just have chapters and it, it's one continuous story. The audiobook I'm listening to definitely breaks it up in volumes, but the volumes for some reason don't match the volumes in the book that oh, I have. Interesting, interesting. I know. Okay. So I don't really understand. Uh, but yeah, I had to like, I had to stew on this one for a little bit because um, it hit me. It really hit me. Yes. I've never read this one. I've never seen any of the adaptations. I knew nothing about this book going mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. or any of the characters. Yeah. And yet, as you read, you're like, why? Why? Oh, my gosh. There are some things. There are some things that we need to discuss, some character arcs and choices. <laughs> I also never read this and listened mm-hmm. to it on audiobook. I did it while driving a lot, so I ended up listening through three or four times. There's a lot of <gasps> characters. Yes, there there's, are a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of uh, people to keep track of, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of captains, so it's like a lot of last names with the captains, so it yes. was hard for me to keep track sometimes of like the main love interest. Totally, totally, but, totally. Yeah, like what a what a first half of a book. No idea what happens in the second half. So 
Shall we get into it? Uh, you, yes. You have one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> I had to write a note down. Six post-it notes mm-hmm. with no, no. We now in Book Nook, we have now achieved desk level where we don't just have a cozy chair. Morgan mm-hmm. fully has her iPad, her persuasion book, and then six. I can't even see what's on the notes, but it's a lot of notes over there. Yep. I'm really excited. It's such a small book, too. And so that was the yes, other. We have the book. same thing that we had with the last book of Northanger Abbey, mm-hmm. where it's only about 100 or so pages of character development and plot and story. And yet so much happens in each paragraph. So many things happen in each paragraph as we move on. Morgan. Yeah. It's an emotionally charged novel. Yeah. Tell me your feelings. We just dove right into the action. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so I want to start off this book with a little bit of history. Okay. Because I, you know, I like to do that when we start a book for the first time. Yes. Talk about its origin. Okay. So Persuasion was written between 1815 and 1816. So the original working title was The Elliot's. Ew. And then <laughs> Anne Elliot, like I get it. It's no what was it, Susanna for Northanger yeah. Abbey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. it's uh, okay. I so get it. yeah, so um, we have Henry to thank for that. Henry Austin, Jane's brother, who go, bud. yep, he that's what he published the book under was Persuasion. So that's when he named the book when he published it uh, after Jane's death. Mm-hmm. Thanks, buddy. That's a nice choice. So to give some perspective of this novel, right? So this is the last novel that Jane wrote to completion. So if if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, we listened to Northanger Abbey, which is a unique book because it is the second to last novel published, but it's the first novel she ever wrote. Uh, so it's one that she she completed and edited towards the end of her life, and then it was published by her brother after her death. So Persuasion, I, it was really interesting to me reading Persuasion right after Northanger Abbey, because even though Austin edits the book and, you know, it's definitely, I think, funnier because she is older and and able to kind of put this like she's editing (laughs) her spin and wit on it. Yeah. She's editing her previous work. Yeah. It's a writer looking back at their not juvenile first novels, but it's like, wow, there's so much more development I can do. And so she got to tear with it near the end of her writing career before it was published. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because the character in Northanger Abbey, like, you know, she's supposed to be naive and and she's supposed to, uh, you know, have this wild imagination, which which I also think is a little bit of part of youth. Right. Of just like, oh, my gosh, I I'm just in, like all these romantic thoughts. I'm going to live in this dream world. I read this book and now my <laughs> whole life is Twilight. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. 100 percent. Yeah. Jacob. Yes. Catherine just has she's just seeping in her emotions. In she North is. Abbey. Yes. And so so we're going from that. Uh, and, and to this this book that's also witty because it's, you know, not only making fun of gothic novels, but it's kind of poking fun at, you know, Jane's works as well, because, you know, her works are so focused on uh, classism and romance. And so she's kind of poking fun at herself, which is funny. It's funny to fans. It's funny today still. Um, so, you know, we're going to that from that to persuasion, which is a completely different tone, which we'll get into. Yes. Um, so 
Uh, but it, it's very clear, like the the shift in maturity and like that tone is just so evident. Yes. Moving from Northanger Abbey to Persuasion, when we look at the beginning and the end of her career, Jane Austen's. That's a really good point. Very clear, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so so that really is. Oh, I lost my post-its. Hold on. Got to go fishing. <laughs> They're all connected like a little snake. Okay. It's honestly like Ribbon Dancer. Do you it remember is. those when you were little? Like Ribbon Dancer. Eh. ASMR. ASMR. Yeah, post-it note ASMR. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, so she's writing this, Jane Austen, between 1815 and 1816. Mm-hmm. Jane dies in 1817 at the age of 41. So she's mm-hmm. writing this novel like... Around the age of 39, 40. Yeah, and her okay. Mm-hmm. So she, Austin herself, is at this like crucial moment in her life where she is, you know, changing, moving into a new decade. She's turning 40, which is hugely significant. Uh, she's unmarried, which for the time, like, obviously, we read all of her books and know at the time that's frowned upon and She's probably seen as some spinster in society. <laughs> Writing these beautiful novels, yet not being able to lock it down. Yeah. Uh, no children, unwed. Yeah. And so we know that there, from her novels, that there is like societal shame in that. So she's probably going through some stuff. Let's be real. Um, and also at this point that she's writing, uh, her health has started to deteriorate. So like Austin... I am sure can feel that her body is not working the way that it used to. So I'm sure that as she's writing this, like she's aware that her health is not great and, and she's going downhill now. Mm -hmm. So all these things are happening. So that also just thinking for me about the circumstances in Austin's life at the time that she's writing this, um, that I think is so important to understanding the perspective and the tone of this book and from our protagonist's point of view, Anne Elliot, right? So the book opens and we meet Anne Elliot. Um, she is a 27-year-old woman who's unmarried. She's living with her family. Um, and and her family is not doing well financially. Mm-mm. And so uh <laughs> They're not doing well. And so they are in the process. They've been like selling some of their things, but also, you know, they've been in arguments with each other about what to let go and what not to let go because, uh, you know, her mother is is very concerned about appearances and keeping up with the Joneses. And, oh, my gosh, well, what will people think when we go to these, you know, parties with our friends and things? And and so, like, that's a whole thing. The standard. And, keeping up the standard and the um, yes. the facade. Yeah. The masquerade. Yeah. The appearance is very important to mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, she's she's unmarried. She's getting to the point. They spend a lot of time talking about her looks in the beginning. Uh, and so we get this picture of this, this woman who's just kind of been, like, dragged down. Is, like, how I interpreted it. Of... And of course, reading this in a modern light, I'm like, you're 27. I'm in my mid 30s. So, oh, to be 27 again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. The youth. She's <laughs> just taking care of things. But she's kind of the one that all of this, these items are falling on. Yes. Is, hey, how do we navigate the less amount of money? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do? Right. And then so like we're learning the book opens 
in a very typical Jane Austen fashion of we get in the first chapter the whole lineage of the family we we just get this the like, dad's info reading dump, yeah. she's like, like a like, download she's like hey so there's a man reading the book and here's what the book says it lists his entire family and yes. everyone that has been a part of what is the baronet baronetage yep. or something and yeah it's very funny i laughed out loud when i first started listening to the audiobook that it said uh, something like, and next to her sister's name, it noted her marriage date. And now every time that Anne walks by that book that her dad leaves open on the table, she sees her name. And next to it, there is no marriage date. And so now she has found herself closing the book and moving it out of mm-hmm. the room. There's just it's embar- there's shame some, some behind shame that. How and... she illustrated like how she feels about her relationship and also the father's um, mm-hmm. looking at the list and really like that's really the accounting of your success. Is are you making it in the book? So as I heard that, I imagined it a more of like a scrapbook type. <laughs> <laughs> so like I understood when she was talking about the book, and I was like, okay, I get it. This is like your book. It's like you know, and Harry Potter and the Blacks have the quilt of their family lineage. I was like, Yo. okay, it's like that. Yeah, but. I then imagined it. I was like, but what if it's like a scrapbook? What and if then, it's cuter? you know, and he spends time at his desk. Like, that's all he does. You know, uh, Mr. Elliot is just, he sits in his office at his desk and he's clipping away at little paper and, you know, continues to uh, write little, little notes and calligraphy and keeping track of people. And uh, so I imagined it more like that. It was more of a fun activity for me. Yeah, I say I really related to Anne just seeing the book and being like, fuck this book. Fuck this book. Get it over here. I am over it and I am out. So it's like, yeah, okay, let's. Oh, yeah. It is the bevy. It's a three bevy book nook time. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. I just really related to Anne's because for me, my experience, I did not um, find love until I was 30 something started mm-hmm. dating did the online thing success success so yeah. like jane's experience and you pointing that out that this is her writing this book for at that time a 27 year old woman now she has all of these things falling on her how is she even going to have time to get her father to write when she is married there's no time there's no time for her to oh do my this gosh And it's, yeah, it's emergency mode. Like they don't, you know, she doesn't have, clearly her family doesn't have the financial security to keep their home. Mm -hmm. Let Like they're, they're starting to rent out their home because they need extra money. And so there's no money for her to doll herself up or travel. Like she she doesn't have money to go into society. She doesn't have money to spend on balls. Her family doesn't have money to throw balls, even though they have the home to do so. And it's, you know, probably expected that they would, but they're not. And so what is she going to do? So all of this is happening in the very beginning of the book. Okay, which is a little slightly reminiscent of the beginning of Sense and Sensibility. Yes. When yes, girl. like immediately mm-hmm. it's it's the situation of, oh, my gosh, the money has run out. Um, but this is this is a move. much more shameful situation in Sense and Sensibility. The events happen due to a sudden tragic death. And a fucked up entail. And so it, it was to no one's fault 
that the events these women befell them. Uh, But but this novel, oh boy, there's a lot of shame attached because it's made very clear uh, by Austin, the narrator, that poor financial decisions were made. Her parents are not uh, fiscally responsible. They are not emotionally mature. And so uh, there's a lot of factors going in here. And they're also, uh, they lack humility. Yes, and awareness. <laughs> and awareness. Awareness. And so uh, so, so that's how we're introduced, right? Is like, okay, here's Anne. Here's her family situation. Bummer. But then Austin drops the bomb. She drops the big one, which is that Anne was engaged at one point when she was 17 and she met this kid named frederick frederick Anne and frederick and frederick oh i loved when i saw that it was frederick i said yes frederick that's a cute name oh, that's real good frederick wentworth so austin drops the bomb that actually she was engaged and and she was actually like in love she met this great guy and he, they were young and, you know, he didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have standing, but like he was ambitious and like had a lot of dreams and a lot of, uh, you know, things that he was working towards and was like, I'm going to go become a captain. And I got I got aspirations. Uh, yeah. And so and he seemed to really be on a good track. Uh, but. And called it off and uh, her parents didn't like the match and her parents persuaded her to call it off and we're like no he's not good enough and we'll find you somebody better so we find out that then and understand that the situation is even more dire because Anne is connected with this family that's just a sinking ship okay she's on a sinking ship here and also she went against her better judgment as a minor, I might say, a 17-year-old girl, trusting that her parents would take care of her, and they did not deliver. So we're just in the first couple chapters, I'm just hit with a bunch of emotions, okay? We have so many things going on with Anne, and I'm immediately feeling like this loss, there's regret, there's regret. embarrassment, yeah. there's shame, uh, there's a lot of questioning of you know, who am I? Who are these people that I've connected myself with? Um, and I think also just like this loss of trust, you know, like where you really trusted that your parents were going to look out for you mm-hmm. and that your parents had your best interest in mind. And and now that Anne is older, she's able to see all of these things that were provided by the narrator, all these characteristics in her parents, such as you know, they don't make sound decisions and they're more concerned with how things look than how they actually are. And uh, so they're not the most responsible and reliable people. And that's too bad. Where's her support <laughs> network? Where where can she go? OK, I need to read this part because you are right on the nose with the um, Frederick. So what happens is doesn't her mom die? And so now her mom's best friend, Lady Russell, is like Anne's confidant. She's like her closest buddy in the neighborhood. And so they hang out a lot. So this is what popped out to me. And I felt like. Anne's reflections in these few paragraphs were really thoughtful and nice. And also going back to the era that Jane was in when she read this is very interesting. Okay. Captain Wentworth had no fortune, 
He had been lucky in his profession, but spending freely what had come freely, he had realized nothing, but he was confident that he should soon be rich, full of life and ardor. He knew that he should soon have a ship and soon be on a situation that would lead to everything he wanted. He had always been lucky. He knew he should be so still. Such confidence, powerful in his own warmth and bewitching in the wit often expressed it, must have been enough for Anne. But Lady Russell saw it differently. His sanguine temper and fearlessness of mind operated very differently on her. She saw it in but an aggravation of evil. It only added a dangerous character to himself. He was brilliant. He was headstrong. Lady Russell had little taste for wit. And then, after, at this part, right here, Anne is having a lot of feelings about, like, reflecting. She's talking about Lady Russell. And she sees how Lady Russell is living her life now. And she says, They knew not each other's opinion, either its consistency or its change. And on one leading point of Anne's conduct, for the subject was never alluded to, but Anne, at seven and twenty, thought very differently from what she had been made to think at 19. She did not blame Lady Russell. She did not blame herself for having been guided by her, but she felt that were any young person in similar circumstances to apply for her counsel, they would never receive any of such certain immediate wretchedness, such an uncertain future good. She was persuaded that under every disadvantage of dis approbation at home and every anxiety attending his profession all their probable fears delays and disappointments she should yet have been a happier woman in maintaining the engagement than she had been in the sacrifice of it and this she fully believed had the usual share and even more than the usual share of all the which solicitudes and suspense been theirs blah 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 blah, blah. it keeps going for another paragraph and everything mm-hmm. but it's just Her awareness of how her life would have been different if she had not listened to her mother's best friend, had not sacrificed what she thought she should be looking for in a husband. He should be, you know, a a baron or a captain or a something. Mm -hmm. And right now, Frederick is just a guy with some dreams and no one is on their side. So she just lets him go because she says, well, the parents know what they're talking about the the guardians of my situation you know mm-hmm. i'm in society 19 she was yes yeah, 19 so all i said 17 earlier but you just read 19 which is 19. correct and is eight years earlier than the age of 27 math so there you go math thanks mm-hmm. thanks for doing the math mm-hmm. uh yeah and so because of that kind of recollecting 19 is kind of on the older side i say slowly in the mm-hmm. regency mm-hmm. era of like she already was you know usually young women are out at 17 18 16 sometimes oh, for 15 sure. sometimes, sometimes 15 like that's pushing it but like sometimes and so 19 especially with her sibling married before her mary got Mm -hmm. married before her there's just that pressure and she said no but only like three people know about this secret engagement no one else knows that it happened in the past so it's like that's the thing only like three people it's like her dad was like no fuck that i'm not interested and then Lady Russell and her and Frederick and maybe one other person. Yes. So we're going into like this 27-year-old like era of her and all mm-hmm. of her thoughts and reflections. 
And so that's what like the, it's the soup that we get in the first like yes. couple paragraphs of the book is yes. up to like chapter four in a bit. Well, and I'm thinking of it, too. So, yeah, it was such a secret that it is mentioned that Anne's younger sister doesn't even know about her and Frederick because yeah, she was her younger school. sister was away mm-hmm. at school. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she just they never told her because don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. So we're told all this. In the narration. Oh, my gosh. In the first couple chapters. So I don't know. The clock is ticking for Anne. Yeah, I I don't know. The money's running out. I don't know if that's going to come back, but who knows? So they rent out their house, right, to to these people, the Elliots do. And they rent out their house to uh, this distinguished colonel and his wife. There's a lot of talk about like classes and oh. like, um, of oh, you're referring to him as a gentleman I didn't recognize because he doesn't own property. Stuff mm-hmm. like that, where like they're very aware of Her the levels snobby. of society with his book and his opinions. And dad is snobby. Mm-hmm. He's very into titles. Walter. And, oh my goodness. He definitely talks about it. And of course, we're going to talk about class. This is an Austin novel. Yeah. She got to talk about class. So so that's what's happening is is that we have or is it an admiral? He's a colonel or an admiral. I can't remember which one. There's some ship talk in this book. There's a lot of ship talk. Um, But the point is that his wife turns out to be the sister of Frederick Wentworth. Sophia. Shocker. Thank Uh-oh. you, Sophia. So uh, so Sophia, you know definitely knows who Anne is. She's very aware, okay? This is the girl who broke her brother's heart. So Anne knows, or excuse me, Sophia. Sophia knows about the secret engagement. Oh my god, she yeah. must. Like, don't you think that Frederick, like, told her? Because at some point, she's gotta know. Yeah, I feel... She's I need, gotta know. I need to read these parlor scenes again because there's so many undertones happening while they're just all sitting around and low-key chatting about boats and mm-hmm. stuff where, yeah, who knows what and at what time. It's very stressful and you can it feel is. it in Anne's narration. Yes. It's it's like, because that is the thing, is immediately when she sees Sophia, that is when the tone of the book changes and she's like reminded all of the stuff and there is a bit of this paranoia you know going on um in Anne's part of the the story and you know who knows has he told anybody oh my god she's here does that mean like I'm gonna run into him sometime now we're definitely running in the same circles his aura's in my house and of course wouldn't you fucking know it it happens and he shows up to the house (laughs) and things get so awkward okay can I mm, here we go I would like to submit this part of the book for your appreciation, Morgan. Yes, please. All right. I have two bits where Frederick is uh, landing, uh, saying his intentions. It's uh, page 58. Uh, But saying his intentions on who he wants to be and what he wants to do with his life and how he feels about Anne. (laughs) Okay. Frederick Wentworth had used such words or something like them but without an idea that they would be carried around to her. So Anne just heard that like Frederick Wentworth was like saying words about her. He's talking, he's talking in his circles about Mm -hmm. saying some things about Anne. He had not forgiven Anne Elliot. She had used him ill 
deserted and disappointed him. And worse, she had shewn a feebleness of character in doing so, which his own decided, confident temper could not endure. She had given up to a she had given him up to oblige others. It had been the effect of over-persuasion. It had been weakness and timidity. He had been most warmly attached to her, and had never seen a woman since who he thought her equal. But, except for some natural sensation of curiosity, he had no desire of meeting her again. Her power with him was gone forever. And then a paragraph later, he's chatting with his sister. He says, Yes, here I am, Sophia, quite ready to make a foolish match. Anybody between 15 and 30 may have me for asking a little beauty and a few smiles and a few compliments to the ma to the Navy, and I am a lost man. Should not this be enough for a sailor who has had no society among women to make him nice? He had said it, she knew, to be contradicted. His bright, proud eyes spoke the conviction that he was nice, and Anne Elliot was not out of his thoughts. When he more seriously described the woman he should wish to meet, he said, A strong mind, with sweetness of manner, made the first and the last of the description. That's the woman I want, he said. Something a little inferior I shall, of course, put up with, but it must not be much. If I am a fool, I shall be fool indeed." for I have thought on the subject more than most men. He's ready to marry a lady. He's ready to lock it down. He's like, what up, sister? I am here in town. Where are the eligible ladies at? Because eight years ago in his secret heart, he is still real, real sad about not being able to lock it in with Anne and get married. And so now he's in town and he's kind of doing the shimmy. Like, hey, ladies, anyone who is out and available. Mm -hmm. Come hit Freddie up. What's up? Yeah, he's I just, super ready. I really like how assertive this character is that Jane brings in. She, he's already been like heartbroken. And so now he's just ready to lock it down, which is very different um, than kind of the slow churn of what the previous books have been that Austin's given us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I saw that too as okay so it sounded to me very uh business like and transactional. Here's what I need to do. Correct. And then I will find happiness. Here's my checklist. Where are the ladies at? Like where where is the pool of merchandise here? Uh and I can pick one. It just it, yeah. So pick one. To me He doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. Um and so to me that definitely did read um, as, as more heartbreaking to me that he it just kind of seems like he'd given up like you're right because it was a very different tone uh most of Austin's stories that we have read about are it's really about the beginning of relationships it's about the falling in love the discovery the discovery those parts the noticing of the feelings yeah the tingling that you yep. start yeah it's it's mm -hmm. the hot bits you know mm -hmm. the falling in love which is the romantic part and and so I looked at Frederick, older Frederick, and just thought, oh, no, have you given up? I mean, oh, maybe. Oh, no. He just doesn't. Just given up on love. Yeah. Is anyone, oh. anyone who has an even temper and um, wants to walk down the aisle? Yeah. Come on up. Right. Oh, 
I also it's, it's a very, killing me yeah, yeah. at this point in the book that Anne, you know, is just like wallowing in shame right now and just thinking like oh my gosh i'm the biggest weenie ever and like frederick she's hates the weenie me. yeah you know um you know she is the asshole in this situation and there was so no reason for her to reject him no ultimately because of where she was in the social class and yes. also because they were actually in love with each other yeah they were and so like she's going into this like i am the asshole in this situation this really sucks for me. And here, Frederick is secretly not over her. And so it's killing me. It's killing me because <laughs> there's so much awkwardness and the tension. Oh, I can't stand it. Like, they know what it's like to hold each other's oh, hand. Oh, no. That's why this is awful. Okay, yeah. so I immediately got triggered by this book because... I and I wonder kind of too, having never read this book and now I'm reading it in my mid 30s. So I'm closer to uh, Jane Austen's age that she wrote this novel. Uh, I am kind of at a point. So I met my husband when I was 27. So like I definitely was kind of in that phase where I'm like, wow, most of my friends are married and I'm coming upon 30. And what does that mean for me? Is that old? Does it matter? Hmm. Interesting. Like I was like also asking myself those questions. And a so I'm just really, really connecting with this book. And so we got to this point and I'm immediately thinking like this is literally my nightmare is just like running into an ex of mine. And having to be in the same room. Like, it's not like you're grocery shopping and you just go down a different aisle or you pass them and then you leave. I mean, they are stuck together. Like, she, her family has a contract with her, with with his sister. And, well, with his brother-in-law. But, you know, semantics. But still. But still, uh, Yes. So, I mean, this is a completely unavoidable situation. And now we're stuck here. And and just like the unknowing of like, oh, my gosh, how do I react? Like, or how do I act here in this situation? Like, are we cool? Are we not cool? Like, I think about this probably on a weekly basis still. And I'm not really over it. But like, what's your deal? And also the fact that, you know, she's stuck in this hot mess family and Frederick shows up and it's immediately like, Fuck. Dude, you got hotter. You got wiser. Yeah. You accomplished every goddamn thing you said you were going to do. And that is the hottest there, thing. You did it. Ambition you is achieved. hot. You're keeping your dreams, word. Yes. Having direction. Hot. Fortitude. Those are wife them or husband them up. Mm. Yeah, lock it in. Yum. Yes. Lock that in. Yeah. That is hot behavior right there. He just, he kicked in the door and said, well, I did it. Now what? Yep. Now yep. what? Yes, correct. And like, at this point too, I would say the heartbreaking thing is just Anne's realization, which I think first is heartbreaking, but then can be empowering, okay, is it's just she's starting to have the realization that she was right and her family was wrong. And she chose at the ripe age of 19 to not trust her own intuition and knowing what is best for herself. You know, like her family is coming at it from a different perspective of like, hey, you're you're just a woman in the early 
19th century. And so like you need we need to make sure that like you're taken care of financially and just like your basic needs are met. And at the time that meant that like you have money, you have a home, like you have shelter, you know, and this guy didn't have that. Like he didn't have it. And so there's no land. Yeah. To them, you know, to be fair. Like, let's let's just, like, examine that perspective. We are Aquarius, by the way. So we can imagine that perspective. Yeah, get me right in those shoes. Uh, but, you know, and we know from her descriptions of this romance that she was fully invested. Yeah. Like, she was in love. She admires Frederick. Like, she said, he's just brilliant. I mean, that's it. He's brilliant. He's just a real smart he guy. He just has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Um, He has direction. He's not, you know, well-educated, but he's intelligent. He's sharp. He's witty. Um, He's loyal and he's loving. I mean, it's just like all of the qualities that you would ever want in a partner. Mm-hmm. It's like, mwah, chef's kiss to Frederick Wentworth. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, is he a gamble? Little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure. When she was 19. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of a gamble because you're young and you don't know how life is going to weather you. Uh, But here we are eight years later and she's been proven and she's like, fucking A. And he's out there just like checking off the boxes, feeling like elbows out, like I am Mm. achieving and doing things. Mm. And now I am coming back, hanging out around my sister. Yeah. And this is this is the situation we're in. Yeah. And now I'm seeing Anne on the regular because it's not like you can go mm-hmm. to a different, you know, social parlor. Yes. Or it's, yes. You're all, in, you're all in the same house. Exactly. Exactly. And just, you know, we all make mistakes when we're young. And in our first relationships, I mean, we're just, you know, trying and learning. That's level one, man. So like this yeah. is this is like their level one romance, right? And so everyone's walking away like, hey, I was stupid or whatever. Could have done that better. Shit was dumb. Bad form. Yeah. Bad form. And and so it's just a whole lot of awkward. I'm gonna say that a lot because that's what it is. And I had so many cringe moments. And so like I'm just thinking too, I'm like, wow, I bet everybody, I bet there's a little bit of anger here. Like I'm feeling a little angry feeling angry at all those advisors who misguided, um, feeling a little angry at our heroine for betraying herself. Not like listening girl, to what her heart was saying. Listen to your heart when it's calling to you. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, this like we're just and it's interesting because like it's not a downer. Like I want to preface that like I listened to this twice in a row um, the book is not a downer. It's like we're dealing with a lot of intense emotions, which also just like lends to the maturity of the novel, right? Where just, and I think there is a little bit more of the serious kind of feelings because of where Austin is at in her life when she's writing this. Yeah. But she also is writing it in a way that doesn't bum me out. Like I want to keep reading i'm rooting for Anne, and i'm I'm still rooting for Anne. i really identify with her because i like understand what it feels like to regret things you've done what it feels like to um you know be a people pleaser and like what it feels like to want to right the wrongs of your past Mm. and like those are some really heavy 
just like human experiences, right? As we age, which I think is also the important thing. You know, it's something that I think humans feel and start to reflect on more as they get older. Because like, I didn't think this way when I was, you know, 20. We were still making the mistakes when we were 20. I'm never going to die. (laughs) Nothing matters. No consequences. Yep, yep, yep. Hey, AbPod listeners. Hope you're feeling groovy, and this episode is bringing a slice of nice to your day. Did you know you could follow AquariusBehavior.pod on Instagram to see weekly episode updates and behind-the-scenes podcast pictures? Yeah, it's true. You can also email the show at AquariusBehavior.pod at gmail.com to share your friendship stories or suggest a segment. Stay hydrated, buddies. Now on with the show. And so, uh, so I think like that's, that's the interesting flavor of this book that there just is a whole lot of awkwardness. And there's one part in particular where, oh my gosh, like the cat comes out of the bag and people start talking about how Frederick and Anne used to be together and they're, they're at a party and just like everyone's chit chatting and whatever. And someone who was in the OG group who knew just says something like off the cuff, just totally not even thinking about it. Like it was so innocent, like they made it as a side comment. But then someone in the group catches and goes, what? Wait, what did you say? And it's, oh, you didn't know about this? And oh, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's just standing in the circle, like shocked. And and so now everybody knows and everybody is talking about it and understands how awkward this has been. It's like, holy shit, we've all been hanging out for a fortnight. And like, this is all going on under the radar. How did nobody know about this? This is huge. And like, Wentworth's looking to wife up somebody. And how is Anne going to feel? And so now, you know, just like, there was a little bit of relief for me after the, oh my God, I hate this. Because again, this is like my literal nightmare is... And I lay awake thinking about this with my anxiety. It's like, what are people saying about me? Well, no one's talking about me because nobody cares, um, which is a good thing. I say that. No, it's that's <laughs> it's, there, right? Like, yeah, nobody cares. No, that is um. a it's a positive <laughs> thing. It's a thing that gives you relief knowing that y- the things in your brain aren't always true and your yeah. emotions are just there and you can right. notice them or not. But right. the way to go. <laughs> but like, I, you know, I think that's the emotion that Austin expects yes. in that what like when readers read that is. You know, I think she wants us to feel anxiety. She wants us to feel a little bit of like danger and fear fear because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's illustrating just now you've been embarrassed in front of society, in front of your peers. Like you are now facing possible rejection. And uh, and so that's terrifying. That's the worst thing ever for humans is rejection. It's when you've been sitting with your secret in your heart for a long time and you know how uncomfortable it is. And then it comes out and it's that kind of both good and bad of, well, now everyone knows so I don't have to care to whatever yes. level that is. And yes. also the shame, the ugh, the wow, yeah, I probably should have married that guy. Shit. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. I know. I know. And you know, the the thing with Anne and Wentworth, like they're not 
neither of them is trying to be mean to the other. Like nobody is coming at this from a spiteful perspective. Um, it reads very much like both of them are really just trying to like not bother the other one. <laughs> like they're just trying to stay out of each other's way. They're being respectful because they do still they're timid. secretly care about each other. They do. And that is made like very evident uh, by Frederick's behavior. And he like makes points to calm Anne at times or just kind of like I kind of look at it and I'm like he is doing just like basic courteous things but to Anne she's like wow yeah he's doing basic courteous things but the fact that he's doing this for me after I completely annihilated his heart and spirit is just like speaks volumes to just who he is because, you know, she's assuming and just like writing the story that like she's the villain here and she has uh, destroyed him. And so he must be angry and he must hate me. And so that's the story that she's writing for herself. Um, and here, no, it's not. And he actually like, yes, he's hurt by her, but he would never want her to be uncomfortable. Dude. I got I got some words about that. You oh, ready? Good. Yes. Please read us some passages. So, this is when they're hanging out, and there's this little freaking two-year-old, you guys, who is just running around in this book, just being a two-year-old in the Regency era. And it's hilarious to me listening to Mary. Is it Mary's kid? I think Louisa. Uh, is that who we're talking about? Uh no, the two-year-old. Um, who is, who is it? Little Charles? Charles? Oh. Little kid? The little one. The little one. Yes. Yeah, the tiny one. Okay. The younger boy, a remarkably stout, forward child of two years old, having got the door opened for him by someone without, made his determined appearance among them and went straight for the sofa to see what was going on and put his claim to anything good that might be giving way. There had been nothing to eat. He could only have some play. And as his aunt would not let him tease his sick brother, he began to fasten himself upon her. As she knelt, in such a way that, busy as she was about Charles, she could not shake him off. She spoke to him, ordered, entreated, and insisted in vain. Once she did contrive to push him away. But the boy had greater pleasure in getting upon her back again, <laughs> directly. Walter, said she, the kid's name is Walter. Walter, said she, get down this moment. You are extremely troublesome. I am angry with you. That is some direct communication. Mm -hmm. Walter, cried Charles Hayer, hater, why do you not do as you are bid? Do you not hear your aunt speak? Come to me, Walter. Come to cousin Charles. But not a bit did Walter stir. In another moment, however, she found herself in the, in the state of being released from him. Someone was taking him from her, though he had bent down her head so much that his little sturdy hands were fastened around her neck, and he was resolutely borne away before she knew that Captain Wentworth had done it. Her sensations on the discovery made her perfectly speechless. She could not even thank him. She could only hang over Charles with most disordered feelings. His kindness in stepping forward to her relief, the manner, the silence in which it had passed, the little particulars of the circumstance, with the conviction soon forced on her by the noise he was studiously making with the child, that he meant to avoid hearing her thanks, and rather sought to testify that her conversation was the last of his wants produced such a confusion of varying but very painful agitation. Anyway. 
It just, Sploosh. it's just, it's just. Knows how to handle a kid. He just. swoops in. He swoops in. He's uh. like, hey, um, I see that this is a problem and I care about you and I see that you're uncomfortable. And that was just a perfect, perfect example of how he doesn't want anyone to thank him. He doesn't want anyone to notice. He's not even sure he knows how he feels about what he just did. Mm-hmm. But there's a feeling. Yeah. And just that mm-hmm. intuition as well. Yep. The, which, which the is teamwork. It's so that's what makes this also so uncomfortable is the the vibe between them. You know, it's just like, oh, we've been intimate. I thought a lot about how, you know, I bet Anne showed Frederick her ankles. <sighs> And so the whole time that they're going through this, you know, that yeah. moment, all I can think of is like those ankles. You've seen Anne's ankles and like, you know, so <laughs> basically seen her soul. And uh, that's how uh, that's how you can see people's soul is it's through their just, ankles. It's intimate. Yeah. You know, the familiarity, uh, the intimacy here, how they can do things without words. And oh, my gosh. And Frederick is just he's very in tune. Yeah. You know, he's an intuitive person. It's that kind of meant to be. And especially in the Regency era, you didn't have this like, I don't want to say power couple vibe, but just like when mm-hmm. you find the person who can not only manage their own experience, but they can witness your experience, too, and like help you out or teamwork it out or just be the number mm-hmm. two while you're number one. And seeing that, that he cared about a woman that he is not romantically connected to to handle one of her family members is just for regency era time that says a lot that says a lot about who frederick is i think it does too and just his adaptability Mm -hmm. you know he's coming into this situation and he's 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 on a ship all the time he's not around tiny humans okay like i can't imagine he has much experience with children I, so, you know, just the uh, the grace at which he goes from situation to situation and he's able to just adapt and be flexible. I mean, I hot and just his calm, his calm <sighs> aura. I just could die. I need to read the part. I need to read the ship part. I just need to find it because hold on. I started, but I didn't mark it. There it is. Next to this paragraph, Morgan, I just wrote hot ship. (laughs) There's there's some ships in this book. Like, I definitely ship Mm. Frederick and Anne, but also there's some ships in this book. All right. <clears throat> so here's here's how he talks about his boat, Morgan. I need to actually sit up so I can mm-hmm. get a good lower voice. Give me just yeah, a moment. Do. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. <clears throat> ah, she was a dear old asp to me. She did all that I wanted. I knew she would. I knew that we should either go to the bottom together or that she would be the making of me. And I never had two days of foul weather all the time that I was at sea in her. And after taking privateers, enough to be very entertaining, I had the good luck in my passage home the next autumn to fall in with the very French frigate that I wanted. I brought her into Plymouth, and here was another instance of luck. We had not been six hours in the sound when a gale came on, which lasted four days and nights, 
and which had done for poor old Asp in half the time, our touch with the great nation, not having much improved our condition, four and twenty hours later, I should only have been a gallant Captain Wentzworth in a small paragraph at one corner of the newspapers, and being lost only in a sloop, nobody would have thought of me. Anne's shudderings were herself alone. He's telling stories, and she's just sitting there like, <laughs> he's talking about his ship and his success and his luck. And it's also, he's not braggadocious. Like, that's also what I like is that when he's telling these stories, he's like, yeah, it was tight and I did a great job, but also I was super flippin' lucky. And I find myself in these circumstances with these great stories, and here's how I got here. And then he shimmies in front of Anne, just in my mind. Just he's humble. He's, yeah, he's, he's humble. He is advertising his successes in a way that makes him even more attractive. That's so, that is like the sexiest story mm. because, yeah, I imagined it as him, as he's saying that. It's very, it's very quiet. And she his did all voice that I wanted. Husky. I knew that she would. That's porn. That's pornography. That's just porn. Austin. <laughs> yes. Thank I, you. That is, that is some straight up pornography. Tell me about the ships. That is what I would like. So thank you, Jane. Um, my audiobook was reading that out loud and I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> Who's talking? <laughs> what? What kind of story time are we doing? Oh, it's <laughs> boats. It's just boats. It's that hot boat talk. <laughs> oh my gosh. So hot ship <laughs> that is hot you know this is a bit of a spicy novel i found and and there were times when so austin uses some specific language in this book and i don't know i don't know at this time if it's intentional or it's just my brain that's dirty in the 21st century but she uses the word erect a lot and uh, she used some other sexual terms that, you know, also have meanings that are originally not sexual. And and so it was one of those things where I thought, like, is that intentional? Like, was that sexual slang in the day or or was it not? And it's just me and my dirty brain. So can it be both? It could be. Why both, not both? <laughs> but it also just like reads so much better in the 21st century if it is because there's passages like that and then she's talking about how they're erecting a pile with little charles to play or whatever um so i'm like okay girl i okay. see you. freudian slip there hello yeah. Yeah. hello um there is just a a mound of sexual tension in this book though i think like that was a really good sum up it's just hot. Of in general. Because Ugh. that's like, that's every scene where they're in the same room together. And it's short. It's a short book with a lot happening in every paragraph. And I think that's yes. why I struggled a little bit to like sum up, not sum up like the first half of this book, but it's, you you said it exactly right, is that Jane does different like illustrations of like sexual tension. Mm -hmm. And it's a different way because we have not had a main character man just standing up and just talking and being so sexy usually there's like yeah. secret notes or whatever and so him standing up and just like being so outwardly like dripping i mean really that's what's happening for Anne and her little bubble in her life this is her regency era existence and he went off and did some amazing things and now he's there just exuding success yeah and she can't have him he's confident and we like that we like that a lot mm -hmm. 
Well, I so I need to talk about one more thing before we wrap this up, which is the event in the book that happens pretty much right before our midway break. Yeah. Which is Louisa's fall. <laughs> Louisa had a tumble down the stairs when they went to Lyme. Oh, my God. That was the worst. So um, we meet the, is it Musgroves? Is that how we say their name? I believe so. Um, and so this is this is now a, a family that comes into the mix. Um, and they have a daughter, Henrietta, who is older. I think she's like, she's maybe a little younger than it's like Anne. It's like 19 and 20, 18 yeah. and 20, so something like that. Yeah, she's not quite as old as Anne, but she's there. She's still single and, you know, just like starting to date and kind of do that and like find an attachment. Um, but then she has a much younger sister who is Louisa. And so they're like all going to Lyme and hanging out and stuff. And it's just this new cool click that yes. they're all just vibing with each other and hanging out and having a nice mm -hmm. time. There's enough people where um, it's not just weird that Anne is there or that. For, no, it's, it's a group. It's, it's a, a group. It's outing. a good group. It's a good group. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Frederick is playing with Louisa and she's like jumping off the stairs and, you know, into his arms and they're kind of doing a rough play kind of thing. Um, and she falls and hurts herself very badly. And so this is all and, and everything's happening like there's uh, Henrietta and uh, Anne are having like a side conversation. And so it's just really like we're focused on their conversation. And in the background, we're getting just updates on. Oh, and then, you know, Louisa jumps and is caught by Frederick and they're giggling and he says, no, we're going to stop now. And she's like, I must do it again. Yes. And so it's very uh, it's kind of like that. And so um, we're getting kind of that whole scene. And then all of a sudden he put out his hands. She was too precipitate by half a second. She fell on the pavement on the lower cob and was taken up lifeless. I gasped. So in my audiobook, this is where she stopped. Yeah. And then she was like, now it's volume two and all this. And so what? I, I know. So it was weird. But that also for me, as I read that or as I was listening to it, I was also multitasking, of course, and like cleaning, doing yeah. passive yeah. activity. And so I heard that and I did a double take and looked at my speaker and went, what? What just happened? <laughs> yeah. Like, I fully thought like, and she's dead. Yes. Like fully lifeless. But there's another, what, one, two, three, oh. four, five. There's another five chapter or she's five She's not dead, you pages. guys. She pulls through. Yeah. She's another five oh, pages in there. Oh. So that, that was horrifying also because um, – like for listeners who are familiar with Gone with the Wind. So a similar thing happens with a small child character in Gone with the Wind. And the scene is also set up in a similar fashion when we're really focused on what's going on with Scarlett and her husband. And uh, so she and Rhett are talking and the little girl is just kind of like doing her own thing and, and the parents are passively minding her and then all of a sudden it's just this in this moment it happens and it's so quick and so it, it was a very similar feel for like that scene suddenly there's Austin. an accident oh. you couldn't have seen it coming there no. was no way to see it coming mm -mm. 
And now no to prevent it. the circumstances have changed. Horrifying. That's also so Regency era. Just like people all of a sudden die. Just I tripped down the steps and oh I died. Oh my God, always. Yeah. But like head <gasps> injury, what do you do? Like yes. where's the surgeon? We've talked about this before. We know where his house is, but is he in his house or is he somewhere else? How do we find right. him? Where are the doctors? Maybe he's on vacation. He took yeah. PTO. He took PTO and, and now so, he won't be back for two weeks. What do you do? Horrifying. I hate that it's a child. That's the worst. Um, But we also have our class classic Austin trope of someone gets gravely ill and has to lie on their deathbed in someone else's home for a couple months. Concerned. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the worst. You have a guest and then they have a near-death experience and now you're taking care of them for the next month or three. Yeah, yeah, a month or three. A view of the connection that Anne and Frederick still have. Because Frederick just crumbles. Like, he is immediately just filled with guilt. Do you have a passage to read for this? I highlighted it. Yes, He says, don't talk of it. Don't talk of it, he cried. Oh, God, that I had not given way to her at the fatal moment. Had I done as I ought, but so eager and so resolute, dear, sweet Louisa, Anne wondered whether it ever occurred to him now to question the justness of his own previous opinion as to the universal felicity and advantage of firmness of character. He's been talking the whole time about like his principles and his morals and how he would and ought to act and everything. And now like this horrible thing has happened right in front of his face. Someone got gravely injured and the moment is just replaying in his mind over and over again. And then they talk about what they should do. What should we do? What do we do? How do we fix this? How do we make this better? Like they go into um, not panic mode, but like business mode of like, okay, we have to notify our parents. Mm -hmm. Who's going to go notify our parents? Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? Anne ends up getting in a carriage and like being in the informing party. Mm -hmm. And so like this quick kind of um, what's it called? Just like the quick communication between the two of them is so helpful in Mm -hmm. these moments and they're like being reminded of the just the love, the care, the understanding. They are talking on the same level. They're in the same plane of existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and does really seamlessly slip into that role of being an emotional support partner for Frederick. You know, she is there consoling him. He makes a point to notice that she was cool-headed during the whole situation and just started helping immediately. Like, didn't wait for instructions. Um, You know, she didn't sit on the sidelines. She just started, even though she wasn't as familiar with these people and she was a guest here, too. uh, She just helped because she saw a need for it, Mm -hmm. right? And and so this is really the first time we're, you know, we've seen up until this point how Frederick has really blossomed and become the person that he set out to be and he said hey here's all these really cool qualities i have and i'm gonna make them better and he did yeah and so this is a time i saw of where Anne had this unfortunate opportunity to showcase her skills to frederick and show him you know without any boasting because she did this because it was 
a part of who she is to to help others, right? Um, and so it wasn't in any way a showy thing or, oh, good, I'm going to help so Frederick likes me and thinks I'm a good person. She was just doing it because that's in her nature. Yeah, it wasn't performative. Um, but the effect was uh, that Frederick did see her as somebody who was reliable and somebody who was uh, comforting, right? And and who was really going to stick by his side when tough things happened and also console him. And so those were all things that she was able to show Frederick like, hey, all those things you thought I was eight years ago, yep, still going strong. And, and also better. And also better. Also, she's the mm. oldest sibling, right? So it's also mm. the oldest mm-hmm. child energy of like taking it all on and shouldering it all and trying to figure it out and she just doesn't have the resources and now frederick is here and he has resources and she has resources and i ship them yes so i have this part on page 103 of my book okay that I need to read because okay, uh, made my heart skip a beat. Yeah. So this is coming right after Anne has helped Frederick and they've just communed and, you know, kind of laid out all the facts and, and caught up on here's where we're at with the situation. OK. And she's also told him, here's the things I've done. This is taken care of. You don't have to worry about it. The tone, the look with which, thank God, was uttered by Captain Wentworth. Anne was sure could never be forgotten by her, nor the sight of him afterwards, as he sat near a table, leaning over it with folded arms and face concealed, as if overpowered by the various feelings of his soul and trying by prayer and reflection to calm them. So, like, he is allowing himself also to be in this most vulnerable state while Anna's there, which is incredible and speaks volumes to his feelings for her. Because, you know, I think really one of the things that we've learned and has been showcased to us by Austin, like if you were to sum it up, is that don't believe what people say, believe what people do. Mm. Because, you know, this whole... (laughs) journey of our regency or a fuck boys and girls dude has shown that that like in the end people are going to show you who they are and frederick is showing that he even though he's in you know this this poor mental state where he is filled with worry and regret and like blaming himself for um louisa's injuries he also it's very clear that he feels safe like around anne And he feels confident in Anne that he's like, hey, I can have a total little breakdown right here in the corner on my chair um, while you're here. And that's okay for you to see this side of me. Like, that's okay for you to see it. That's okay for you to be here. Um, Safe people. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. You know, like somebody who's going to see the worst bit of you. And even after eight years, like how just uh, I think. I don't want to say quickly, but maybe it's just how naturally they both fall into those rules again. Falling into step with each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, they don't miss a beat, mm-hmm. even though their heads are kind of against them and and telling them these stories. Uh, their souls are in sync. Yeah. Like their bodies are vibing. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. It's real sexy. Yeah. Yeah. It's real sexy. Um, and he even does. There is a little bit of, you know, she agrees that she's going to 
help out a little bit more with Louisa. Like she's going to stay there with her, make sure that everything goes well. Um, and Henrietta gets really upset about that. And so that was also an interesting uh, little tidbit there that Frederick was more willing to entrust Anne with certain caretaking and, uh, you know, looking after Louisa instead of Henrietta, yep. who is Louisa's sister. Mm-hmm. And and to her point, Henrietta has this little outburst of like, I deserve to be here. I'm, I'm her, her sister. sister. And all this stuff. And I was like, you're so right, girl. Like, like truth. I get it. Like, truth, truth. I can see both sides because it's <laughs> like he's like, well, of all the variables that I have, uh, Anne is the best suited for whatever. But then there's the relationship. It's just so funny. It's yes. just so funny. Yeah. So, wow. What a time. I Like, you know, we've been recording for a while and there's just so many characters and uh, I just, I know that I'm missing things, but I think that I'll be able to dive into more of the characters once we finish the second half of the book, because like Mm -hmm. there's Mary, Mary has just so many snotty little comments and moments. And like, she's just Mm -hmm. trying to make it in her world that she's created for herself. And so I feel like once I absorb all of the character arcs, I'll be able to more uh, fully, suss out the other characters that are because I was just so focused on Anne's experience I really identified Mm -hmm. with just what was going on with her the fact that there was an accident that just shook up the whole situation there was just a lot of variables in there that distracted me from the other characters I was Mm -hmm. just like well it's about Anne and Frederick so I am going to notice what's going on and how every yeah, it's characters. like, well, what are they doing? Mm. I'm gonna have to listen to the whole first half again before I start the second half. But and this is yeah. always a little. This is totally our experience with the brand new books. Yeah, it's Northanger Abbey all over again. Of like, wow, I'm so excited to find out the first half was so completely different than the second half. Mm-hmm. They actually go to Northanger Abbey. It's a real place. So yeah, this book, it's like we're kind of in the middle with this caretaking situation and everyone mm-hmm. kind of needing to go into emergency mode and maintenance mode. What will happen, Morgan? I, I don't know. I can't wait to I find out. I want everybody to fall in love and just be okay. Yeah, just be okay and love each other and have babies <sighs> if that's what your choice is. Oh just my live your gosh. Regency era life. Yes. <sighs> yes, girl, yes. Wow. Well, hey, uh, should we wrap this one up yeah, for get, today? We got to get one? out of here. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There it is. But we'll be back next week. Uh, it's a podcast chronicles. Mm. It's yeah. So it's just uh, it's just a little guy. Uh, it's going to be a mini episode. It's going to be a little fun time. Yep. It's the fifth Wednesday of the month. So we got a mini episode for you just talking about podcast adventures adventures like what our thoughts are we're going to be reflecting on a year of podcasting here we're coming up on a year coming up on our year anniversary so wow i know it's gonna be fun awesome well until next time love and abundance bye